You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Hi, my name is Joseph Bernard, and this is my wife, Rachel. About two years ago, a little more than two years ago, uh, we made a big move um, from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, down here to Charlotte. If ever there was um, an example of a, a detour in my life, it would be this this move because I did not see this coming. <laughs> Moving to a new state, a new city, getting to know new people, a new church. God had a way of orchestrating our steps, would you say? Well, absolutely. And then I think we're here for maybe, you know, we, we, when we first came here, it was kind of, it was kind of a uh, wait and see. And then after the first three months, uh, I, I asked you about whether you would want to move back. And you're like, no, I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> And that's so, without um, having met, met yeah, that, any people uh, and that many people yet. Right, so. right. And since then, over the last two years, um, we've um, only seen all that God had in store for us down here. The changes that we're able to see between this environment and our and the, the environment in Boston is really a, just a byproduct of just being faithful to His leading. You know, we're just in a place now that we can hear God more clearly than we were when we were stuck in our environment, this this place that we were comfortable with, that we knew, and we were we basically in charge of our, our, our move, our every move that we made. I feel like we as Christians, we, we get caught up in a routine, even though we do believe in God, we do believe that he speaks and that he can direct our, our paths, but until he shifts things around in your life, sometimes things change, and he, because he's trying to point you in a new direction. Sometimes, you know, he, he interrupts your routine um, and or, you know, he does something to get your attention to show you that, hey, he's got something else that he's telling you or he's something else that he's wanting you to do. And that, I think that's what I've experienced the most from this experience of transitioning from from where we were to where we are now. All he's asking us to do is trust. And we read about trust in the scripture all the time. But living out that trust is a whole different story. Reading about how other people live with God is one thing. But then in your in your life, actually acting out that faith, it, it, it can be challenging. Um, so what I would encourage people to do is really to seek God and just really desire his will and not your own will. So I would say, just from my experience, when I can look at other people who um, are in a similar situation as us where uh, things aren't bad, but you know, deep inside, these could be better. Um, Whether it's um, leaving a job or leaving an environment like we did, or uh, just taking a step of faith into something new. I would encourage whoever is in that situation to continue to, to bathe it in prayer. And once you have an answer from the Lord, just take that step of faith. Uh, because uh, there's a whole big world out there <laughs> that is uh, that is sometimes hard to see from our human perspectives. God could have so much more um, out there for us if we're just willing to trust in Him. So I would say go for it. But following God and being a part of His plan does require trust and obedience. Would you agree with that? Just as it was in Joseph and Rachel's story, 
So it's true for us. As, as we're willing to obey, this is what I've come to discover. There's no limit to what God can do in and through our lives. And that's what we're going to discover as we look to the Christmas story. How many of you know we all love a great story? Would you agree with that? I mean, we all love a great story. And there's, in my mind, there's no greater story than the Christmas story. It's a story that happened some like 2,000 plus years ago. But here's the exciting part. It's a story that's still happening today. In other words, there was a time that it happened, an event, a place called Bethlehem. But it's a story that keeps happening. And this is why it's the story of redemption. It's the story of God revealing his grace to us through the giving of his son. Now, the story has several different characters that that play different roles that we're going to be looking throughout, looking at throughout the Christmas season. And you're going to get to hear different stories like the Bernard story, Joseph and Rachel. You're going to hear more of those as we move through the season, because we all have a story that's interconnected with God's story and his work in and through our lives. So in the Christmas season and in this series, we're going to be talking about the different characters because there's a lot of different characters in the Christmas story. And, and we're going to be seeing what we can learn from their stories. But in the Christmas story, God set into motion what he had been planning for ages. But I mean, the scripture says in the fullness of time. In other words, the birth of the Messiah wasn't something that just happened. No, God had been planning. Matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of the Messiah 600 years before Jesus was born. He foretold what would happen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Listen as I, as I read these words. For, us to, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What Isaiah foretold happened as a young pregnant virgin girl gave birth to the Messiah. And it was more than just the birthing of a baby. It was the birthing of redemption. So it's the Christmas story that's changed all of our lives. Would you agree with that? The Christmas story has changed the story of your life. It's changed the direction of your life. But as we look to the Christmas story, one of the key characters is a young man named Joseph who was planning this great future with his future wife, Mary. Now, Joseph was, um, as we're going to read in just a moment, he was betrothed or pledged uh, to Mary when he discovered that Mary was pregnant. And this kind of like interrupted his plans. This kind of like turned everything upside down because Mary was pregnant. And this is what Joseph knew. Joseph knew that he wasn't the father. And how many of you know, pregnancy requires like two people, right? Come on. Are you with me? I know it's church, but we can talk about this. Two people. And Joseph knew that he was not one of the two. So we have a dilemma. So Joseph here is is trying to figure out what to do because he didn't want to disgrace Mary. He was very fond of Mary. Again, they were in this this uh, state of betrothal. But how, how could he be married to a woman who, who obviously, I mean, she had the baby belly happening. It, she, she had, it's obvious that she had been... Unfaithful. In the midst of his deliberations as to what he should do, how he should respond to Mary's pregnancies, he's visited by an angel in a dream and he's directed to take Mary. What's conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. And at this point, Joseph had a decision to make. Would he obey and follow God's direction or would he follow his own human intuition? Now, because we know the rest of the story, we know what Joseph did. 
uh, he chose to obey that of God's direction. And in that, he got to be a part of God's redemption plan. He got to be a part of God's redemption story. Through his obedience, um, he became the earthly father to the Son of God. But it was, again, I emphasize his obedience that granted him the privilege of being a part of, of God's redemption story. You know, obedience today is a concept that challenges our independent-minded culture. However, as a people who are culturally outsiders, obedience is a concept for us to embrace. Listen, this is what obedience does. Obedience opens our lives. Obedience will open your life for God to work in your life in a greater way. Choosing to obey. But you know, one of the things I've noticed, and I think this is a part of our humanity, there's something about this word obey that rubs us uh, a little the wrong way. This word obey has like a negative connotation in our culture today. When we hear the word obey, it's like our spine stiffen a bit, right? Um, and, you know, obedience is like not just that of rebellion that happens in teenagers, like, like you experienced when you were a teenager. And if you have teens, you're presently experiencing that. And if you don't have teens, I'll loan you hours for a couple days uh, and you can experience it. This word obey... Again, whether teens or adults, it like it stirs something within us that makes us say, I don't know if I want to do that. Yet again, obedience is key to that of God's work in and through our lives. But we're living in a culture today that is not um, is not like really open to obedience. Matter of fact, I experience this often because one of my jobs as a pastor, one of the roles that I have is uh, to encourage people in truth. Um, so if there's individuals who are like, I know that I would know that's like living in disobedience, oftentimes I invite them to my office and we have conversation. And um, it's not what I enjoy doing, but it is a part of the role. If you come here to Grace Covenant and you call me your pastor, then before God, I have a responsibility to guide you in truth. Not my truth, but God's truth. One of these days, listen, I'm, I'm never going to have to stand before God and give an account to you. But one day I'll have to stand before God and give an account to me of my leadership and the life of this congregation. So, again, I take no pleasure in this, but oftentimes I get to invite individuals to my office to talk about truth and to talk about disobedience. And most of the time it's in issues in relation to morality. And uh, I would say 95 percent of the time. When I talk with individuals about God's word, because this is what I know. Listen, folks, you cannot go your own way and do your own thing and get God's best. You, you can't live in rebellion and say, hell with God. I'm going to do what I want to do and expect God's best. Listen, it doesn't happen that way. You want God's best. You have to align your life to the truth of what God's word says. So oftentimes when I have these, these difficult conversations, they're painful. Um, speaking truth and talking about obedience most of the time, people leave my office really angry, like face red angry. And sometimes they even choose to, to, leave, to leave Grace Covenant. Listen, not once have I had to confront someone concerning an area of disobedience and they stood up and gave me a high five and expressed gratitude for bringing correction in their lives. Again, there's something about our human nature that is, um, is not responsive at all the time when we talk about 
this word obey or, or obedience, yet it's so critical. Remember, we see this played out in a story. You don't have to turn there, but let me just quickly summarize this story. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul, the, the king of Israel, is disobeying God. He's, he's, in, he's living his life in disobedience to God's direction. So God says to the prophet Samuel, I want you to go and confront the king. I want you to bring a word of correction to the king. And so all of this is recorded in 1 Samuel 15. Let me read for you verse 22 and following. Listen to what Samuel said to King Saul as he's bringing this word of correction. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in, get this, obeying the, the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion, disobedience, is as the sin of witchcraft, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. So from Samuel's confrontational words to King Saul, what we discover is is this. Listen, God delights in obedience. God rewards obedience. It's through our obedience that we honor God, and as we honor God, it opens the way for God to work in and through our lives. So, So like Joseph, as we obey, we get to be a part of of God's story. So our obedience is, is really, it's not a small matter. It's, it's a big deal. Matter of fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. He says, one act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. One act. One act of you simply doing what God directs you to do. So let's look this morning to Joseph's story as recorded in, in Matthew chapter 1. And let's see what we can discover about obedience from a, a good and godly young man who was directed to an action that, humanly speaking, made no sense. Like, it didn't add up what God was directing Joseph to do. Matthew chapter 1 is where we find the story. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin, will will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Notice verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So here's a young Jewish um, teenager He was probably somewhere between the age of 14 and 16. We don't know exactly, but according to the culture of the time, he would have probably been about that age. And he's excited about the future. He's picked out, or maybe it was handpicked for him, his his bride-to-be. And he was, as the scripture says, betrothed or, or, or pledged to be married to Mary. 
Now, within the Jewish culture, um, marriage was like a two-stage process. There was the betrothal, and then there was marriage proper. And betrothal was actually, like they were already in a contractual marriage agreement. Matter of fact, betrothal in the Jewish culture was so strong that the, the man, the male, uh, would be exempted from military service. Why? Because he was in the process of marriage. And for a woman, if she was violated in the state of betrothal by another man, that man would be stoned for adultery. So significant, they were at this significant place. They've not come to marriage proper yet. The marriage has not been consummated, yet they are contractually married. And in this time, there's a surprise that happens. Joseph, a good and godly man, remember the scripture says, a righteous man living his life under the law, according to the law, discovers that Mary is pregnant. And in the midst of this, there's one thing that he's quite certain of, and it's this, that he's not the man. And if she's pregnant, then there had to be something that happened for her to get pregnant. Like you don't just get pregnant by drinking the water, right? Are you with me? It's not like she's been drinking at the wrong water fountain. You don't get pregnant that way. Joseph realizes that something has happened here, and it's involved another man. It's not him. So he finds himself in this dilemma, and he's crazy about this woman that he's betrothed to. So he's trying to figure out, how can I separate myself from her without shaming her? How can I, how can I create separation? How can I end this? Because I can't be married to a woman that I can't trust. How, how can I do that, yet protect Mary in the process? And the wise having this, this deliberation, trying to figure out what to do in the middle of the night, he has a dream. An angel appears and kind of tells him the rest of the story. And basically the angel says, hey, Mary has, like she's conceived a child by the Holy Spirit and that she's going to give birth then to the Messiah. And Joseph is then directed to take Mary, his wife, in a pregnant state and be a covering for her. And at this point, Joseph has a decision to make. And the decision again is this. Will he obey or will he disobey? Will he follow God's direction or will he rely on his human intuition? And verse 24 kind of gives us the fullness of that picture. It says, when Joseph woke up, he, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. In other words, uh, he moved into action. And through Joseph's obedience, he had the privilege of, of being a part of God's redemption story. He became the earthly father of the promised Messiah, the one who would would bring salvation for mankind. So from Joseph's story and his response, I want us to spend the next few minutes talking about what can we learn from his response of obedience? What can you and I learn about obedience from his story? I think the first lesson is this. Obedience to God doesn't end in disgrace. It's all, it, Rather, it always opens up the way for God to reveal his grace and his provision. If you look back to verse 19, Joseph is trying to figure out how he can save Mary from disgrace, being the good man that he was, being that he was fond for Mary. He wanted to save her from disgrace. But through his obedience to God, a place of potential disgrace became a place of God's grace. 
Quite amazing. What looked like a no-win situation for Joseph because this woman that he's betrothed to is now pregnant. It looks like a no-win situation became a win-win situation of God's grace. This is what I know this morning. As we choose to obey God, even in areas that we don't understand, it's not going to turn to disgrace. Rather, it will be a place of God's grace. You know, oftentimes what the Lord commands us to do makes no sense to our disobedient culture. How many of you know we're living in a, a culture of disobedience? I mean, it is, the, it is the time and day that we're living in a rebellious culture. And oftentimes obedience to God doesn't make sense to the to the ungodly culture, the ungodly world that we live in. Obedience to God could cost you. It could cost you in resources. It could cost you in relationships. It could cost you in reputation. But this is what I know, though it may cost you, it'll never end in disgrace. This is what I guarantee you this morning. I can guarantee you this because God is faithful to his word. If you choose to obey, it'll never be a place of disgrace. Rather, it'll be a place of God's grace poured into your life. Why? Because God takes delight in 1 Samuel 22. God takes delight in those who honor him. And so it'll never be a place of disgrace. Joseph was off concerned about what being disgrace. He hears from God. He obeys. And again, that place of disgrace became a place of God's grace. And I believe the same thing can happen in our lives through obedience. Here's a second lesson we can learn from Joseph's story this morning is this. Obedience to God doesn't doubt the impossible. Rather, it embraces the impossible. If you look back to verse 20 and 21, the angel begins to talk about Mary um, conceiving by the Holy Spirit and giving birth to the Son. His, his name will be Jesus. He's going to bring salvation for his people. Now, how many of you know this is not the way that pregnancy normally happens? Right? Right? Matter of fact, historically, it had never happened this way. And since this point of immaculate conception, it's never happened this way since. So what it was supernatural. God was doing something supernatural to bring about salvation for mankind. Because for God to be qualified to be our Savior, he had to be both fully God and fully man. For Jesus to qualify to be our Savior, he had to be born of the flesh, yet born of the Spirit. He had to be the sinless one to qualify to be our Savior. Therefore, the necessity of Mary being impregnated by the Holy Spirit, conceiving by the Spirit of God. But if you think about it, I mean, this, humanly speaking, this whole story seemed impossible. Yet Joseph was willing to believe and willing to obey when he didn't have all the answers he wanted. I have to believe, again, put yourself in Joseph's shoes, especially for the men here this morning. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're engaged to a woman, and she becomes pregnant, and you know that it's not you. And someone says, oh, she's conceived by the Holy Spirit, and you're like, right. Yeah, explain that one to me. Like, how does that happen? Like, I understand sperm and egg, had that in biology class, but Holy Spirit, immaculate conception, I don't, uh, like, it, I don't get it. There was something supernatural happening here. 
And Joseph was willing to embrace that. It was, it was his obedience that opened the way for God's supernatural work. And for Joseph to walk in obedience, I mean, he had to be willing to embrace, to walk in the supernatural. What God was asking Joseph to do was, was look past what others would think they see and stay focused on what Joseph knew he had seen. I mean, think about it. You know, oftentimes we read the Christmas story and we don't like connect all the dots. But, but think about this. Others would see a fool who believed the Holy Spirit was Jesus' father. I mean, think about Joseph trying to explain Mary's pregnancy to others. Like, I mean, he had friends just like you and I have friends. His friends would come and ask questions like, oh, I've seen Mary's got a little baby belly and you are not like properly married yet. So, uh, hey, Joe, what's happening here? And can you imagine Joseph trying to rationally explain immaculate conception? Try that today yourself. Try to humanly explain immaculate conception. It's like beyond human understanding. Well, it's supernatural. But, jo- but Joseph would have been in that place, yet he's willing to embrace that place. I mean, others would see a madman who believed he was raising the Messiah. I mean, think about this. Here's, here's Joseph on the edge of the soccer field with other dads. Their boys are out on the field playing soccer. Jesus just scores a goal, and Joseph says, Hey, that's my son, the son of God. And they're saying, Right, what have you been smoking, Right. It was supernatural. And Joseph was in the middle of it through his obedience. I mean, I mean, others would see a carpenter who thought he was raising the king of kings. I mean, what we know is Joseph by trade was a carpenter, and so it would have been just really normal that, that Joseph would have had Jesus in the carpenter shop teaching him how to build things. Imagine this, Joseph the carpenter teaching his son how to use lumber, the very one who had created trees. He's telling how to build something out of the tree. I mean, get your mind around that. He Joseph's obedience opened the way for the supernatural of God. And I'm convinced, listen, folks, it'll do the same for us. Even when it, when it doesn't make sense and God says, okay, I want you to obey. Listen, as you step out in faith, man, what's it going to do? It's going to blow open the door for God to miraculously work in your life. Now, 22 years ago, 22 years ago, I was 29 years old. I'd just come to Grace Covenant as the lead pastor. We were on Main Street in a little building. And we needed to get from Main Street to this property, this location. We had the property, but there was no building. And I knew it was my job to help the congregation get to this piece of property. So I needed to raise a lot of money because it takes money to build buildings. And um, the first building we built here was $4.2 million. Um, I'd never raised money, didn't know anything about raising money, but I knew I needed to raise money. And so I was like under the gun pressure. And I remember I was one day I was God and I were having a serious conversation about raising money. I said, God, I don't know how to raise money and I, I, I need to know how to raise money because we need to raise a lot of money so we can build a building. I need you to help me know how to raise money. And it was one of those times where I just I had this Holy Spirit revelation about fundraising. This is what God said to me. And it's so clear. I mean, I remember this 22 years later, just as clear as it happened this morning. God said to me, just 
spirit to spirit, he prompted it in my spirit. He says, Pharaoh, if you'll sow the seed, I'll bring the harvest. If you sow the seed. Now, how many of you know, humanly speaking, that doesn't make sense. If you give away, you have less, right? Like if I have $20 and I give Cheryl 10 of my 20, I have less than I had, right? You don't raise money by giving money away. Why? Because you have less money. If you're trying to get more money to build buildings, the last thing you want to do is give it away. Yet God said, trust me in this. You sow the seed, I'll bring the harvest. Well, the first church, and if you've, some of you have been with me 22 years, so you remember this. The first church that we gave money to, the church, little church was doing a remodel project. They'd run out of money, and they needed money for carpet, and we bought carpet for their building. And that was the first, of, I could tell you hundreds of stories where we've given money away. The church, not, obviously not just me, the church leadership, elders, council, you as a congregation, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic. Listen, I don't care. If they're doing something great for God, we should be a part of it. And give money away. So fast forward, I could tell you a lot of stories in between. I don't have time this morning. Fast forward 22 years later. Today, we have, as a church family, we have, we own over $15 million worth of building and property, and we owe less than $500,000. Don't you tell me God can't do it. Listen, this is what I know. It's obedience to that which we don't fully comprehend and understand. It's obedience. It's moving when God says move. That opens the way for God to work in our lives. It did for Joseph. It will for you and I as well. Quickly, here, here's a third lesson we can learn from Joseph, it's, it's that obedience to God doesn't delay to act. Obedience simply responds. I, I really like verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel Lord commanded. So, so here's the summary of that verse. God spoke, Joseph moved. God spoke, Joseph acted. He didn't, he didn't delay. He didn't reflect on the situation. He didn't contemplate his options. He simply obeyed God's command. Listen, to delay, to, to delay in obedience is to give room for the potential of disobedience. The quicker we move in obedience, the quicker temptation to disobey moves out. So we, we don't want to delay. God speaks, we want to move. Yeah, to delay is kind of like the snooze button on your alarm. How many of you, how many of you are snoozers? Come on. How many of you are snoozers? You know how this works, right? You know that you have to get up at a set time, but you want to sleep as long as you can. So you set your alarm for the exact last minute. Obviously, you want to have time to get up in the morning, do your devotions, do your exercise, right? I'm assuming, right? So you set your alarm at the last possible minute so you can get up and get all of those things done and still be to work in time the alarm goes off and you reach over and you hit the snooze button five more minutes right alarm goes off again you hit the snooze button again five more minutes how many of you know the longer that you hit the snooze button the harder it is to get out of bed it's the same with this it's the same with delay when it comes to obedience, the longer that you delay, the harder it is for you to obey. Joseph heard and he responded. God spoke. He acted. May it be true in our lives. 
that when God speaks, we move. Here's the last lesson we learned from Joseph's story and, and possibly the most exciting. And it's that obedience to God gives us a place in his redemption story. Because of Joseph's obedience, he was privileged to be the step-in dad of Jesus. He, had a, he was a key player as God unveiled his plan of redemption for humanity. If you look back to verse 22 and 23, the scripture talks about how all of this took place through the prophet. The virgin would be with child, give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel. God with us. And God came to be with us that he might save us. This baby that was born in Bethlehem, would die on a cross at Calvary to provide the way of salvation. And Joseph, this young Jewish boy, was a significant part of the story. He was a significant figure in what God was doing and making way for redemption through, get this, through his obedience. And God's redemption story is still, be, still being told today. And we can all be a part of it. Through our obedience, like Joseph. As I said, as I began this morning, the, Chris, the Christmas story still happened. It's still happening. It happened on a specific day in the city of Bethlehem. And it's still happening today throughout the Lake Norman community. Why? Because it's a story of redemption. It's happening as people embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, as we act in obedience, but God gives us a place. And his redemption story. It happened for Bob when John simply obeyed in their workplace, in the marketplace. John obeyed kind of a prompting from the Holy Spirit. And he shared the gospel message with his friend Bob. And Bob received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. What? It's the Christmas story still happening. And there was an individual who got to be a part of it. What? Through obedience. You know, the Christmas story is still happening today, bringing redemption. Man, it, ha- it was here yesterday on our campus through Christmas Joyland. It was absolutely amazing. Some of the pictures you see on the screen. But we had the privilege of blessing like 200 families. The screen says 199, but there was one lady who came late at 3.30, so it makes it around 200. 200 families got blessed through grace coming. They got to experience the Christ of Christmas through your generosity. Not only did 200 people get blessed, but there were eight individuals who received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because you were obedient. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Isn't that exciting? 200 families served, eight individuals whose eternity was forever changed because as a congregation, there was a group of people who said, we're going to obey the Lord. So if you gave money, if you brought a gift, If you were here putting the shelves together, if you were here wrapping gifts, if you were here as a personal shopper guiding people through, if you were sharing the gospel message, if you were here parking cars, if you were handing out cookies, whatever your role was yesterday, you got to be a part of God's redemption story through your obedience. People's lives forever changed. Simply because folks like yourself said, hey, I'm willing to serve. I want to obey. And through that, again, you were a part of God's redemption story. So what we learned from Joseph this morning is obedience is critical. Obedience to God opens the way for God to work in our lives and through our lives in a greater way. 
So my, my question to you this morning, really simple, and I'm going to end with this, and it's a simple question, but let me present it to you. In what area in your life today do you need to, do you need to obey God? What has God spoken to you about that you've been delaying on? Because see, when we have disobedience in our lives, it's, it's almost like we have this obstacle that's hindering the flow of God's grace. That's what disobedience does. It, it hinders the flow of God's grace, His favor into your life. So this morning, again, the question is really simple. In what area of your life do you need to obey to be a part of God's redemption story? Would you pray with me, Lord? I, I thank you this morning for the wonder of this season, for the greatness of your grace and the greatness of your love revealed through a stable in Bethlehem that made way for a cross at Calvary. Oh, God, we celebrate you this morning. Holy Spirit, I just ask for everyone in the room today that you would convict and convince, that you would remind us of that potential area where we've been delaying obedience. Because, Lord, what we've discovered through Joseph this morning and his role in the Christmas story is that obedience is critical. It's a big deal. Lord, we don't want to in any way limit you or limit your work. So, Lord, my prayer today is that for each of us, Lord, I pray this for everyone in the room today because I think this applies to all of us. May we be like Joseph. May we hear and respond. May we hear and act. God, that you might be honored. And that we might be a part of your redemption story in our community, in our world today. And Lord, I, I pray in coming days, coming weeks, Holy Spirit, may we simply be responsive and obedient. Lord, I know we don't always get it right, Lord. We struggle in our humanity. But Lord, I pray that our lives would be marked by obedience. And Lord, as our lives are marked by obedience, God, I really, what I really believe is there's no limit to what you can do and what you will do. So Lord, bring your greatness, I pray, in and through our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.